In one heart-stopping moment last Tuesday, Beirut, a city that's seen its share of wars, was rocked by the biggest blast in its history. We've got images just coming into us and they show a scene of total chaos. Lebanon, uh, the capital Beirut has been hit by a massive explosion. An enormous red mushroom cloud towered over the Lebanese capital whilst buildings were reduced to rubble and shattered glass rained down across the city. You can see the plume of smoke rising into the blue sky. In a land so often cursed by violence, a catastrophe. More likely the product of human incompetence than malicious design. We're going to take you straight to Beirut, where there has been at least one massive explosion in the last hour or so. Beirut is still counting its dead. More than 5,000 people were injured. Hundreds are still missing and more than 150 are already known to have died. A day after the blast that catastrophically shook Beirut, the true scale of the disaster emerged. You're listening to Stories of Our Times, from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Manveen Rana. Today, Beirut, the blast that shook the world. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs no deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. I was sitting in my study. I'd just written a short 300 words about uh, coronavirus. And uh, it was a quiet uh, Tuesday evening. And then I just heard this strange high-pitched roar. I, at first I thought it was a plane, but it wasn't. It was, it was clearly an explosion of some sort. Richard Spencer is the Times Middle East correspondent based in Beirut. As we speak, he's standing by what's left of the port where the explosion happened, with helicopters overhead and glass being swept up around him. And he's telling me about the moment when the blast hit. And I, I stood up to, to see what was going on uh, from my desk and then uh, felt rather than heard this extraordinary thing, which I've 
I'd never experienced anything quite like it before. I was just picked up and thrown right across the room, and it took me right over the over the bed, uh, right through the door on the other side of the room, and landed. I landed just in the doorway, and uh, I, I kind of was a little bit stunned, couldn't work out what was going on, stood up, realized that the door wasn't there, thankfully. It had, it had been blown out as well. And I just uh, wondered what on earth had happened. Uh, I realized immediately it was a huge bomb and just took in the wreckage of my flat and, uh, and tried to sort of put myself together, find my glasses which had been thrown across the room and find some shoes under my bed, you know, uh, which had, uh, had flipped. So uh, then I just started putting myself together. I wasn't even knocked out. I was always conscious. I was not even really groggy. I, I didn't hit anything. The other key fact was nothing hit me. And I, I looked round at my laptop. I was sitting in front of my laptop, obviously working, and my laptop was shredded. It was in three parts on the bed uh, that I'd been thrown over. Uh, you know, the two halves ripped apart and the, you know, the, the base uh, ripped in two. So there was just the keyboard and the, uh, and the other half just lying in three pieces on the bed. I used to live in Beirut. It's a city I love. I've been calling and checking on old friends, like Ghadi Sari. Do you want me to tell you the whole story? or Yeah, uh, yeah. where were you? What, when, when so we were, we were driving back from the north to, to Beirut, my wife and I in the car. He's a consultant and former journalist, and he's seen his share of war zones. But he was stunned by the force of this blast. And as soon as we got to Beirut, we decided to take the port road. And so as we passed by, we saw the, the fire that was already on in the port. We, we saw the fire truck getting in. And at that point, we didn't think much of it. We just thought it was a big fire at the port. We didn't think it was going to be more than that. And I was at a corner about to, to set into parking. So the car was completely still and I was about to turn a corner when suddenly I felt I was rammed from behind and the car shifted 90 degrees. And suddenly there was another like wave, I would say, and there was no oxygen and no sound for three seconds before all the glass from the nearby shops exploded onto the car. I realized it was blast, but I was shocked not to see a fire because in my experience, there was no way this was in our street something that powerful could not not have been on our street but then everybody was was somehow still there there was no fire and then this massive cloud was raining over the city it was frozen it wasn't one of those fireball blasts which you would see and i've you know i've seen weapon depots being <laughs> targeted by air but this mm-hmm. was something completely different and just people mesmerized looking at that It was almost like Independence Day, where people are just staring at the sky, at the UFO, which was frozen up there. The sky was orange, it was red, it was yellow, it was dust, it was I don't know what, it was full of so many things. On the other side of town, Melissa Ajamian was staring up at the sky too, and trying to make sense of the chaos around her. I looked towards Jamezi and it was it was so cloudy. There was this huge, huge, ominous cloud at the horizon. It was like just staring me down, you know, and like, I still can't wrap my head around anything. I don't know what is happening. I'm terrified, you know, I'm so scared. 
Melissa works at the American University of Beirut, but she was at home in Mar Mikhail when the bomb hit. The neighbourhoods of Mar Mikhail and Jamezi are the beating heart of cultural and artistic Beirut, filled with cool, hipsterish cocktail bars and buzzing restaurants. But they're also right next to the port, and they were the hardest hit by the blast. I was having such a good day. I had a business call. We had a team meeting. I, uh, I cleaned my house, which is so stupid, like, if you think about it now. I had lunch, and then I took a shower, and then I was, I was still in my bathrobe, which is so horrifying when I think about it, and how vulnerable I was uh, at that moment in time, and how unaware I was at that moment in time. Oh, God, Jesus Christ. <sighs> Around six, I hear a very loud, a very strange noise, and it was, I think it was the first explosion. And my thought was, okay, I was like, okay, here we go again. This is some kind of attack on Lebanon. We are so desensitized as a people that for us, it's just, you know, just another day. I opened one window and I popped my head out. And I'm looking around to see what happens, and all of a sudden, this this flaming hot blast of air just slaps me across the face, and it pushes me to the end of the room. And then, concurrently, at the same time, you have windows shattering on my left, the glass shattering on my right, and it's all embedded. It's all embedded in the wall. It's embedded uh, in the table, it's embedded in my bookshelves, it's embedded in my bed. But nothing, like, it, it didn't even touch me, you know? It was all over, it was all over the place. I was barefoot, it didn't touch me, man. I, I, just, I don't know what happened, I don't know how lucky, it was divine intervention, but I swear, Manveen, I saw a circular burst of air come towards me. I, I don't know how to describe it for you, you know, like when the entire world shakes around you and even the sky shakes. And the blast was something everybody knew was not something humans had experienced before. It, it had that, that sort of alien feeling. I mean, you you've, know, you've, lived through, you've lived through wars. This was different. I've seen wars. I've seen Mosul. I've seen, you know, wars in Syria. I've seen in Iraq. This was completely different. This shook the earth. This did not shake the ground. This shook the earth, the core, because it, it was a wave. So even your insides feel like they've jumped up and down. The, the idea of how the glass all shattered in one instant was something I, I never saw you can capture. It's like time freezes, you know. Uh, I think the way I would describe it is the people of Beirut spent an hour in those seven seconds because that's when really slow motion happens and then suddenly the sounds come back the, the idea of the sound and the air disappearing it's almost like outer space and then at that moment i remember the first thought when we saw that cloud was definitely a bomb there might be another one so this is the re reaction of people who have lived through different blasts is you always worry about the second one yeah and i'd just been about to park so you know abandoned the car and tried to take shelter in the building we were, we were trying to reach. But, of course, being mindful of the glass on the ground, which was everywhere. People are in flip-flops. It's summer. 
I don't know if I screamed, you know, I think about it still and I, I don't know if I screamed. I don't remember if I screamed, but I'm, I'm sure I did, but I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I, I ran barefoot across my living room and I stepped over the glass. I ran down. My neighbors are downstairs now. We're all looking at each other. What happened? What happened? What happened? What happened? Nobody knows the answer. Someone's saying Israel. Another person is saying it's some political assassination. We had no understanding that it was something that was this big. And then at the same time, I'm seeing all these bloodied people and I'm just turning in circles in place. I'm not doing anything. I'm just turning in circles in my place. Imagine like you're just standing and then you keep turning 360, 360, 360, 360, 360. You don't know what's happening. You don't know what you're supposed to do. You don't know if you're supposed to protect yourself. You don't know if you're supposed to help someone. You, you start realizing that you don't have the tools. You don't have alcohol. You don't have bandages. You don't have anything. You, you can't help anyone. I got up and looked around and I thought that this must have been a bomb right outside my apartment. As I stepped out, uh, I walk, walked further and further and further and I asked some cops who were standing nearby what had happened and they were kind of, they were equally shaken and said, we've got no idea. Could have been a plane, could have been from underground. I asked, where's the bomb? I was looking for the, the hole in the ground and they said, we've no idea either. We've no idea where it is or what happened. Uh, and then as I walked, I realized this was something totally different because Half a mile down the road, the, the, the devastation was even worse. When Richard got out onto the street, he found an apocalyptic scene. It was like, you know, your stereotypical, cliched zombie movie scene in that there was dust everywhere, there was glass everywhere, and people just staggering up the road, covered in dust, and, and many of them with sort of blood coming out of their faces, uh, going down their faces and arms, and not screaming. There was, uh, you know, there was, there was a sort of calm. Uh, it, it was quite quiet at that moment. Meanwhile, in Mar Mikhail, Melissa was in shock. And then this Filipino woman, she grabs me and she's like, help me get back home. And then I was shaken awake for, for a second. I'm like, okay. Okay, I said, okay, what do you need? What do you need? You want to go home? Where's your home? And I start waving all these cars down and no one is stopping, you know. She's covered in blood and I'm obviously not, probably not looking very um, okay. So people were terrified and they were already terrified from the explosion as it is, you know. So no one, no one stopped. No one stopped. And then there's this man in a small black car. He stops and he tells me, what do you need? Just let me know. I tell her to get into the car. She gets into the car. And then I'm still sitting. I'm still standing by the curb. And all of a sudden, this woman in a Jeep, she parks by me. And her glass is all shattered. The controls in her, in her car are all fallen, you know, like... Ugh. Uh, yeah, so the entire controls in her car are falling from place. And uh, she just parks. Her arm is bloody. Her forehead is bloody. She's, she's obviously in some kind of shock. I look at her. 
we look at each other we look at each other intimately you know we just look at each other like we've known each other for years and then we hold hands and we start crying together and i stand by her a little bit we cry some more and then here i just stand in the middle of the road and i start screaming at the top of my lungs and this man approaches me and he's covered in blood from head to toe his t-shirt is drenched with blood he looks at me he's like what's wrong are you okay and i look at him i'm like are you okay and he tells me yeah i'm okay and I'm, i check myself if i'm bloodied you know like i i uh, um, do I have blood? Although I had already checked myself, you know, I, I had to check again because I couldn't believe that I wasn't affected. And then he looks at me and he says, not a scratch. And he smiles, the, the guy, the guy is covered in blood and he's in so much pain and he's smiling at me and he walks away and I'm still looking at him. I'm still looking at him walk away and then he looks back and I'm and then I'm still looking at him. We're looking at each other and then he disappears, you know, he goes, he leaves. I don't know where he is right now. I, I've just this morning been back to my apartment to, to, to see it in daylight and see what the damage is. I discovered something that kind of rather, rather sort of took the wind out of me, I, I, and I, which I'd forgotten entirely, which was about half an hour before the blast. I'd closed one of the shutters of the window in front of my desk that I, that I sit right in front of because at that time of day the sunlight comes round into my eyes. So I'd closed the, one of the shutters and I realized that, that the pane of glass and that shutter were the, it was the only undamaged window in the whole apartment, uh, the only window that hadn't shattered. So that shutter basically stopped the glass uh, shattering right into me. And the window above, it's a kind of three-part window, the woodwork was on the other side of the bedroom, the glass all shattered everywhere. That window must have shattered all the way through the laptop. If you think I was, must have been sitting at an angle, that shutter saved me. The blast was felt more than 150 miles away in Cyprus. And as images of the horrifying scale of the explosion spread, it seemed to shake the world. Well, my first thought, of course, was, you know, there was already like tension between Israel and Hezbollah and all of that. And I think that was the first thing that would jump to anybody's mind, because something like this can only be a, a high military grade kind of weaponry if it was human-made. Speculation was rife. Lebanon and its neighbour Israel are always on the brink of war. And there had been a few clashes on the border in the last few months. And then... This was always going to be a particularly tense week for Beirut. Fifteen years after the assassination of the former Prime Minister, Rafiq Hariri, a UN-backed court was finally set to deliver a verdict on who had killed him. It's always been widely believed that Hezbollah were responsible. The Iranian-backed Shia militia group may be classified as a terrorist organisation in Britain and the US, but in Lebanon... They're also a legitimately elected and highly influential political party. The verdict of the special tribunal has now been delayed after the explosion, but everyone had expected trouble when it was announced. But surely, nothing on this scale. What could possibly have caused such terrible devastation? That is a question that really divides into two halves. The, the proximate cause of the, ex, of the explosion, what you saw on those amazing videos, is this, uh, I don't think there's any doubt, it is this uh, stockpile of ammonium nitrate. 2,500 tonnes, to be precise. 
which was confiscated or, or stored there from an impounded Russian ship six, seven years ago. And that is the sort of damage, that is the sort of blast that that kind of supply of ammonium nitrate would cause. The, the second question is slightly more complicated, which is, you know, what set off that explosion? Because there was clearly an explosion first that set off uh, that explosion. And, you know, the government talked about fireworks and and people laughed slightly because in the, in the Middle East, when anyone, whenever there's a terrorist atrocity that somebody has an interest in covering up, they always say, oh, it was, uh, you know, wedding fireworks. And so everyone laughed um, and said, well, there must have been something else. Something, there must have been a, a bomb there or maybe, you know, Hezbollah controlled the port in, in Beirut and, there, you know, suspicions that it uses it to store arms there. But actually, sometimes, you know, the most ridiculous explanation does actually appear to be true. And a couple of port workers have come forward to say, yes, there was, uh, there were fireworks stored at the port uh, in another warehouse near the, the ammonium nitrate. And there had been a fire just earlier set off by some welders who were repairing an electrical fault. And so it is entirely possible that the, the welders set off the fireworks and the fireworks set off the ammonium nitrate which would just be, you know, the most bafflingly inept thing to have happened. But, you know, sometimes it is cock-up rather than conspiracy. Yeah, of all the things to store together. Is there a clear idea of why that uh, ammonium nitrate was being stored there? You know, you said it was impounded. Is this sort of, is it a case of corruption? Is it a case of um, officialdom and they just haven't found a solution? You know, there have been all sorts of suggestions about what it might have been meant for too. What's what's the thinking in in Beirut? They haven't launched an inquiry, and it's already uh, you know it's, it's it's a very politically sensitive issue. If you want to sort of put it in the, you know the broadest possible terms, it is a reflection of the political stasis that this system of government in Lebanon has produced. That's a key part of the problem in Beirut. It has a dysfunctional system of government. For months now, mass protests have taken over the streets across the country as the public have been calling for the whole government to step down. On Saturday, those protests reached fever pitch. Richard Spencer was out on the streets gauging the mood. I'm down in a crowd of people at Mardis Square in Beirut. Uh, thousands of people have gathered here this evening, uh, furious at what's happened on Tuesday, uh, chanting uh, against the government and also in that particular clip you just heard against Iran. Beirut is free, Beirut is free. Iran go home, Iran go home. It rhymes in Arabic. All the way down to the port, which you can see from Martyr Square, thousands of people have gathered. A few, uh, a few minutes ago, the police fired tear gas. They fired shots to disperse some of the crowds at the edges. When I first moved to Beirut in 2013, there was no government. There hadn't been one for months, as the different parties who share power had fallen out. Again. And that's the difficulty with the Lebanese system – it so rarely seems to function. Ever since the country was established at the end of the world wars, Lebanon has always been a mix of religions and sects. It's one of the things that makes it so special. 
It has a mix of Maronite, Catholic and Greek Orthodox Christians, Sunni and Shia Muslims, the Druze and many others. The government, though, is a dysfunctional power-sharing arrangement between them, where the president always has to be a Christian, the prime minister, a Sunni Muslim, and the speaker of parliament, Shia. The country was ravaged by a civil war throughout the late 70s and 80s when the Christians and Muslims fought each other. More than three decades on, many of the warlords who led the religious militias in the civil war and brought Beirut to its knees back then are now the ones running the government. And for the people of Lebanon, nothing seems to change. There's also a suspicion of corruption, of course. Why were the rules not followed? And if the rules, which, you know, the rules should stop this stuff being stored there, you know, they're not, you often look at who's being paid off. And then who has an interest in paying it off? Well, anybody who wants to get their hands on two and a half ton, two and a half thousand tons of explosive goes a long way in the Middle East wars. So it really is, it's all of Lebanon's problems in one tiny microcosm. Exactly. And I spoke to a doctor yesterday. He said, you know, this is exactly what we've been complaining about. This isn't negligence. This is criminal negligence by a class of politician who should have had the honour to depart years ago and haven't. The president of Lebanon, Michel Aoun, says they're still investigating the cause of the initial explosion at the port and they haven't ruled out the possibility that it might have been caused by a rocket or a bomb. But for the people of Lebanon who've taken to the streets in protest again. It's the government they blame. This was criminal negligence. A friend called the family and said, oh my God, I can't imagine this happening in Liverpool. Like, if you're just saying this was about badly yeah. stored things. And this, this led to several, you know, investigations over the UK's own structure. Like, and, and, and the answer was, the laws are there to protect it. Well, there were laws here too. So this is not a sign about inadequate laws. This is a sign about corruption. What exploded in Beirut was corruption. People are beyond angry. They're, they're blind with rage. And we want, them, we want them to pay for their crimes against Lebanon because this is the greatest act of treason. This is the greatest act of treason. How does a government destroy its own capital, its own beautiful capital, the hustling, bustling heart of the country where all the artists and all the creatives and all the intellectuals and where all the architecture and the old architecture and it all, it all lives there. How could a government commit such a crime against its own people against its own capital. We are enraged because it's treason and that's why people want them to hang. We don't want them to resign. Protesters filled Beirut over the weekend, some carrying symbolic nooses meant for the government. Clashes broke out as the police fired tear gas and rubber bullets at the crowds. But protests have gripped Lebanon for months now and even before the explosion, the country was facing economic disaster. What's been happening in, in Lebanon in the last six months is that everything has collapsed. The economy has collapsed. The dollar exchange rate has collapsed. 
the government's finances have collapsed. And this has been, you know, the disaster long foretold for Lebanon uh, because Lebanon's debts have been mounting for, for some years now. And one of the, the phrases that came up during the financial crisis in 2008, so after all those boom years, people said, you know, when the tides high, everyone floats. And when the tide goes out, you see the boats beached on the harbours and seafronts, and those are the ones that weren't really seaworthy. And that phrase has been used a lot of the Lebanese economy in the last six months, ever since the financial crisis, never since the war in Syria and across the Middle East, which drove investment away from the Middle East and drove these waves of refugees across the region, including into Lebanon. The economic system has been going down, not up, but the fixed exchange rate and the, the inability of the government to take decisions has, has now just left the whole economy exposed. The Lebanese banks are failing and the currency has collapsed. Living through that really isn't easy. I've spoken to friends who've described going shopping for a jar of Nescafe. It used to cost a couple of thousand Lebanese lira. Now, it costs more than 20,000. The price is still the same in dollars, but for people who are paid in Lebanese lira and whose wages haven't changed, the basics of life, even jars of coffee, have suddenly become unaffordable. No one can get hands of medicine, no one can get hold of imported foodstuffs and I'd say, you know, people's banks have, have stopped giving back their money. They haven't officially declared bankruptcy, but effectively m- most of the banks in Lebanon are effectively bankrupt in the sense that you can no longer go to your bank in Beirut and get out $1,000 from your dollar bank account. If you can't even get money out of your bank, how do you pay for the repairs that are now needed? The scale of it is immense. I think a lot will depend on whether the international system, if you like, whether the Western banks are prepared to underwrite uh, the new development. If you're looking for plump lips that last, you need to know about Juvederm Lip Fillers. With Juvederm Volbella XC and Juvederm Ultra XC, your lip look, whether it's subtle or bold, can last up to one full year with optimal treatment and no additional maintenance. Find a licensed specialist and see if it's right for you at Juvederm.com today. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Add fullness to lips in adults over 21 with Juvederm Volbella XC or Juvederm Ultra XC. Do not use if you have severe allergies or a history of severe allergic reactions, or if you you're allergic to lidocaine or the proteins used in Juvederm. Tell your doctor if you have a history of scarring or taking medicines that decrease the body's immune response or that can prolong bleeding. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. As with all fillers, there's a rare risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. For full, important safety information, visit Juvederm.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. 
Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Will the explosion that shook the world finally make other countries sit up and pay attention to the crisis in Lebanon? The French, who used to have a mandate for Lebanon, are stepping in to help. Emmanuel Macron arrived in Beirut last week and was mobbed by anguished crowds as he went out on the streets. We have to send food. They need materials to build now their location. But you see the tension. People are very nervous against their politicians. So at the same time, we build this emergency aid. We need a new political initiative. And I'm here to bring help to help to coordinate, we will launch a European and international initiative to bring money and help directly to people. People calling for the government to fall were asking him for help. As protests filled Beirut over the weekend, President Macron held a conference of donor countries which raised a quarter of a billion euros for Lebanon. But it's a drop in the ocean compared to the 13 billion euros of damage caused by the explosion. And even that money may not arrive. The international community are demanding reforms from the Lebanese government before they'll pay. So now the question is, will, will the government and the international donors and the international banks uh, be able to work out a way in which aid can be given without crossing the funding institutions' red lines for how they deal with governments and banking systems that have proved inadequate and corrupt? And in the past, when Lebanon has has had disasters, quite often other foreign powers have stepped in, you know, whether it's the Iranians who've rebuilt parts of Lebanon after the war with Israel or the Saudis. Is that likely to happen now? Uh, No. Uh, And again, this is why Lebanon is, is in such a mess, because... That was, you know, key to the sectarian system, as I say, because when we say, you know, Saudi and in the West and Iran stepped in, you know, they all stepped in to, to, to help the sectarian bit that they supported. Iran, of course, supports Hezbollah, which is its proxy in Lebanon. Uh, the Christians have a historic relationship with France, uh, dating back to the colonial era. That's how it's always worked in the past. Over the years, Lebanon has become a playground for foreign powers. When you drive along the main highway, heading south out of Beirut, it's covered in Iranian flags because Iran, who back Hezbollah, paid for a lot of the reconstruction after Lebanon's war with Israel. Similarly, much of the centre of Beirut was funded by the Saudis, who backed the Sunni prime ministers. But now, the countries who used to compete for influence over Lebanon might not be willing to help. But Saudi Arabia, the minute that Hezbollah became the strongest single party here, Saudi Arabia basically said, you know, no more. We're not, we're not helping a country that's in, in security terms is now in the axis of Iran, which is our greatest enemy. 
Uh, Iran has carried on supporting Hezbollah and will continue to support Hezbollah and, and send some aid, uh, particularly to Shia areas of Lebanon. But Iran has totally run out of money itself. It's suffering this massive maximum pressure sanction campaign from America. And that has affected Lebanon as well in that some of the banks have been sanctioned by America for the ties to Iran and Hezbollah. And as I say, you know, in terms of France, the West is 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 also setting conditions on its aid. So that's that's one of the problems we're in. Coronavirus is now striking as well, particularly for Iran. So actually the pot of money is no longer there anyway. For Lebanon, it's the perfect storm. A failing economy, a political system that no longer works, fewer countries willing to bail them out, coronavirus taking its toll, and now this huge, devastating and unnecessary destruction. Well, there is this resilience here, and it is, you know, it's incredibly impressive. I'm I'm literally standing in a uh, ruined building at the moment, not far from the port, and all around me, you can probably hear them, there are people with dustpan and brushes just sweeping the streets, getting the glass off the streets so that cars can get down, people, you know, in their flats, sweeping up, trying to rescue whatever furniture they can. It's, it's, It's... it's kind of impressive, and there is a, this resilient spirit. There is a tremendous spirit here. It is, it is always very impressive. Beirut needs help. But it's hard to see where it'll come from at a time when the global economy is suffering. But Richard Spencer is right. The people of Beirut do have the most extraordinary, unimaginable spirit. Perhaps, phoenix-like, the city will rise again. But for now... Beirutis are just coming to terms with the scale of the damage. It's horrible. I made the mistake of walking through it today uh, from my house to the middle, to the middle, and oh my God, do I regret it. It is the most horrible scene you could ever see. All these beautiful buildings, this beautiful architecture, all all ruined, everything ruined. It is so horrible, Manvin. It's ruined and entirely ruined. You've been listening to Stories of Our Times with me, Manveen Rana, and my guests, the Times Middle East correspondent Richard Spencer, Ghadi Sari, and Melissa Ajamian in Beirut. You can read more of Richard's work at thetimes.co.uk or in print. The producers were Poppy Damon and Will Rowe. The executive producer is Poppy Damon. Sound design was by Falcon Kisseltuk. Music by Breakmaster Cylinder and Ketzer. If you'd like access to more of the in-depth foreign coverage done by The Times, you might want to think about taking out a digital subscription. You can go to thetimes.co.uk slash subscribe to find out more. See you tomorrow. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. 
And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.